very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Stop waiting and give yourself the gift of truth. And by the way, we just recently added another great product. Earthing products, grounding products. So if you haven't experienced the wonders of grounding, take a look. Go to the store at veritasradio.com or go to sanitasradio.com and listen to the interview, wonderful interview with Clint Ober. I'm telling you, it worked wonders for me, a lot of my loved ones, family, friends, colleagues, employees, they just absolutely love it. And I just want to share it with you. So I had to speak with them so we can start representing their items. So take a look. Tonight, we delve deeper into the mysteries of the spirit realm and life between lives and how they can and do influence our current lives on earth. Get ready to discuss new information from advanced spirits in the afterlife who believe that the time has come to let people know the answers to the mysteries that have puzzled them for generations. Tonight's special guest is Barry Eaton. Barry has wide international experience in all areas of the media and entertainment industries. He is a well-known radio and TV presenter, having spent many years with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and various commercial radio and TV stations. He produces and hosts the internet radio program RadioOutThere.com, now in its 11th year, enjoying a worldwide audience. His first book, Afterlife, Uncovering the Secrets of Life After Death, was published in 2011. Barry is a qualified astrologer, psychic, and medium. He was given the 2012 Hall of Fame Award by the Australian Psychics Association. As head of the Faculty of Journalism at Macleay College in Sydney, Barry lectured in radio journalism and production from 1995 to 99. His uh, latest book is titled No Goodbyes, Life-Changing Insight from the Other Side. And directly from Mullumbimby, New South Wales, Australia, I would like to welcome Barry Eaton. Hello, Barry, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. Thank you very much. That was great. You've got the Mullumbimby bit. A lot of people find that difficult. Well, I, it's an Aboriginal word um, I out cheated. here in Australia. I cheated. I went to a website just to make sure I knew how to pronounce it. <laughs> Good for you. Well, Barry, we're in October, 
For some reason, October is a month where we tend to think a lot about lost ones, the spirit world, etc. Why don't we begin with your story? You lost your wife in 1997. You say you finally reunited with your soulmate only to lose her again so quickly. You say that a few months later you reconnected. Share your story with us first, please. Okay, Mel, can I first mention the word lost has gone right out of my lexicon these days because I don't believe we lose anybody, hence the title of my second book, No Goodbyes, because really there are no goodbyes because we are going to meet up again and we can even connect and communicate with our loved ones on the other side. So we don't lose them. It's just like they've gone into another room or uh, immigrated to another country or whatever, and we contact them and we will be back with them. So that's one of the reasons that I actually wrote Afterlife, my first book, was to help people get over this incredible grief and upset and, and this feeling of loss. Because as I said, we don't lose anybody. I think it goes right back to the fact that we are basically a spirit which contains a soul, the spirit is the, the soul vehicle, and that attaches itself to our body so that we can have a human experience. We're not a body with a soul, we're a soul with a body. And once we can learn to have that differentiation, then it makes all the difference. But as I said, I wrote the book originally to help people get over this fear of so-called death and also to help them to, to cope with what they feel or felt was a great loss. And so far, it's been a fantastic reaction, Mel. I must say, I'm delighted. I even just got a, an email this morning from somebody in the States who uh, listened to one of my other broadcasts to say how much it helped them in the grieving process and, and what a difference it made so they could actually just get on with their life and not fall apart. And this was from a, a, a school teacher in the United States. So it's emails like that that really make my heart sing to know that uh, I can help people because I'm only passing the messages. I'm just the messenger. And it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful journey for me, and it's actually changed my life, I've got to tell you, Mel. And that word, lost, you're, you're so right. It's one of those words that's very hard to leave behind. But as I say it, I think of what you just said. We don't lose anybody. We actually don't say goodbye. We just say bye for now. Well, that's right. It's like some, one of our members uh, of our family or friends heading off overseas to live. And we, we have this experience, this feeling of loss, but it's only a temporary loss. It's a feeling of, well, they're leaving our life. They're going to leave a hole in our life. But knowing the fact that now we can contact people, I mean, 100 years or so ago, we couldn't contact them. Maybe we got an occasional letter, which might take six months to get there. But now we've got the internet. We can pick up the phone. Oh, we can do all sorts of things and have contact. Well, we can do that with the other side as well. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling to know that people in our lives are going on and they're going home. That's basically what the afterlife is. That's our real home. And here we are out still on the adventure, but we can connect with home. And that's a wonderful feeling. So what happened in 1997? This is, I believe, when everything changed for you. It did. It changed dramatically. In It goes back to actually a bit further than that. In 1990, I went through a divorce and my whole life changed. I've been doing a radio program at that stage, doing a lot of callback, and um, also working with a, a psychic in another program I was doing. And I needed a change. I really thought, I cannot keep going with my life the way I am. So I sort of put my head back and said, 
help, I need some help, somebody, anybody. And uh, the call went out to the universe, and I ended up studying astrology. As one of my regular guests on my talkback show was a guy called Gary, Gary Wiseman, good name, and he was uh, running astrology classes. So I said to him one night, I'm going to do your course next year, Gary. And he said, what? Where did that come from? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to do your course, which I did. Uh, it was a 12-month diploma in astrology, and at the end of that, I also um, worked with him on learning the tarot. So I opened up psychically. Well, a couple of years after my divorce, I met this beautiful lady called Judy, and we connected immediately, absolutely amazingly. She actually looked over at one night. We were, at, uh, we were out at dinner. We were both invited out there, and she looked at me, and she realized, she said afterwards, that she said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this man. And tragically, that proved to be the case. We immediately found ourselves drawn to each other, as I said, and it wasn't very long before we realized that we had a huge soul connection. We stayed together for four years, and at the end of that time, she did pass very tragically, which was very, very sad, very shattering for me, and also for her, because I know I kept on getting messages from her because we were allowed to get in contact with each other. And she was saying how hard it was to be on the other side without me, and I was on this side without her. And we were able to communicate at first by automatic writing, uh, helped out by a medium, and then after that, my medium abilities increased to the extent that I was able to be in contact with her. So she was my immediate link with the afterlife. And then I kept on getting all these messages from her. It was quite amazing. Uh, all the messages saying, Barry, you've got to write a book, you know. You must write a book. Well, I've been in broadcasting and radio, television, theater, film for all my life, all my working life. And I hadn't, I, I'd written documentary scripts and various other things, but I had never written a book. So I'm thinking, yeah, 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 right. So I kept on getting these messages. You have to write a book, Barry. It was coming from mediums. It came from a very good friend of mine, the late Bob Murray. Bob only passed over a few weeks ago in uh, in Canada. And he uh, contacted me one day and said, hey, Barry, he said, I, I got Judy here. He said, uh, she keeps on saying to me, when are you going to write that book? <laughs> so I thought, all right, I'm being nagged from spirit. So I better get on and write the book. So I wrote a book, which wasn't just about the afterlife, but the publishers asked me to concentrate on that facet. And that's how Afterlife was born. That was the, the first book. Why did you decide to write a follow-up to the to the first one? Well, part of my research for Afterlife, the first book, is um, with a group of spirits. I'm still in contact with this group of spirits, and I hope they're with me right now. Let me just ask them. Uh, yes, I'm being told they are with me right now. They, they are. Whenever I'm doing any talks or anything like this, I have some wonderful guides and a spirit group that I work with, and a man called John, who is a former Australian film screenwriter and producer. I've known John for many years. When he passed over, we got in contact through a trans medium. Now, John is the spokespirit for a whole group of spirits, which I found out later. I thought at first it was just him and how wise he was, but he later told me that he's he's a spokespirit, like a, a news anchor for about 95 different spirits at various levels of the afterlife. So after I'd finished Afterlife. It was published. It was out there. I'd done all my publicity and everything like that. I, I did another session with John just to sort of say, well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate what you've done for me, my guides, and to John. And he said, whoa, hang on. 
<laughs> just just don't go anywhere. You only just started. I said, what do you mean? I've, I've written a more. book. We went out there. So he said, oh, there's a whole lot more to go yet. I said, oh, really? He said, yes, and here we go. And that's how the genesis of No Goodbyes was. It, they wanted to get this information out, as you said in the intro there, Mel, that they've got so much information from the afterlife that they want to share with us. They want us to realize more than just, yeah, there is no death, and yes, you'll meet up with your loved ones. Sure, that's basic sort of stuff, but there's huge amounts of information. And so No Goodbyes um, started to be written as we delve deeper and deeper into the mysteries of, of the afterlife and the universe itself. Is this something before your wife passed away? Is this something you were interested in, or is this something that happened afterwards? Look, I've always been interested in all metaphysical subjects. On um, the radio program that I was talking to you about before, I connected with a clairvoyant back in the late 80s, and we started a, a radio program where she was purely the clairvoyant on air, and I was the radio host. And one night she said to me, you know, you're going to be doing all this sort of thing yourself soon. I said, oh, yeah, that'll be right. Um, <laughs> I'm on radio several nights a week. Uh, I'm running a PR business. I'm doing television work. I'm working seven days a week, 80 hours a week. And you tell me I'm going to be doing clairvoyant work as well? Well, she was right, wasn't she? <laughs> so it, it goes back a long way. And you said that you had some spirit guides or, or spirit contacts with you right now. This is going to be really interesting. Can you tell us more about these spirit contacts that you have? Yeah, of course. We all have spirit guides. Every single person on the planet has at least one spirit guide, somebody in spirit who is helping them, whispering in their ear, helping guide them. And perhaps that spirit guide has been with them before they were even born. As we develop Some of us change guides as we go through life. But every single person has got this guidance that's there. Now, people might think, oh, yes, it was my, my dead mother or my you know, great uncle or my grandmother or whatever. Well, sometimes, sometimes that can be the case. But we also do have other spirit guides who just do nothing else except guide. So they are there with us. I've been so fortunate as I've worked more and more in this whole area of spiritual development and helping other people and doing readings and writing books and talks and whatever, I've built up some spirit helpers on the other side and so a wonderful guide who's now working with me as a master guide. And I have another guide who works with me just on the books and he will not work any, any other aspect of my life. So the more we do, the more guidance we get, but we've got to be open to this guidance, Mel. We've got to be trusting in it. Um, some people call them guardian angels, some, and, and we can have all sorts of fantastic help there. But we have to open to it and also be grateful for it and listen to this advice. Quite often we can get it through meditation. We can get it through just listening to our inner voice, our intuition, our wisdom from within. And it's there for every one of us. Now, I've got, as I said, some, a master guide, but also my spirit group who comes in and helps me when I'm doing on-air work like this. So some of the answers that come out of my mouth sometimes, and, and when I'm also talking, giving, giving a talk somewhere, I'll be saying things like, wow, where did that come from? Did and I say I know that? Where it, I'm sorry? No, I'm just saying sometimes you probably say, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, I think that sometimes, wow, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I have to say, I'm an open-minded person, but at the same time, many years ago, I had so many close encounters with death, almost death, that I always said, there must be somebody watching over me. So year after year after year, I tried, I tried, but I couldn't get contact until somebody told me, you have to be receptive. You have to meditate. You have to learn how to do that. And finally, a couple of years ago, I went somewhere where I was told, your spirit guide is called so-and-so. I'm not going to say the name now. Maybe you can tell me. If you have your friends there, you can tell me. But then I went to the same year. I went to a different conference, met with some friends there. They were playing a game. And all of a sudden, by the way, your spirit guide is here. And her name is the same name I was given somewhere else. And they didn't know about it. How is Fantastic. that possible? Uh, well, your spirit guide wanted to give you verification. And our spirit guides don't always share this kind of information. And, and people will say to me sometimes, well, what do I call my guide? I say, well, sit down, connect, and the first name that comes into your head will be the name that you can work with, you, with, with your guide. And it could be anything. Uh, and it doesn't really matter whether it is their name because sometimes um, our friends in spirit have got names that they might have had in their last life. But if it is an angelic name, they can be pretty long and complicated. So it's whatever is comfortable and whatever name comes to you, work with it. Just go with it. I mean, my master guide that I work with for my books just wishes to be known as M. Nothing else, just M. So I call him M. Well, my first letter of my name is M, so I have some connection there, I guess. Now, what new areas does No Goodbyes cover? Well, Afterlife, book one, was basically a journey through the afterlife that that I based around my own experiences. I was taken back in a regression to the time that I was killed on the trenches in the First World War in my last life, and I went through the whole life-between-life process, exploring all the way, uncovering what happens on the journey, and I added various other information from other spirit contacts and and, uh, mediums, etc. So, No Goodbyes goes into the, the depth of this contact. Whereas Afterlife was the journey and describing basically what can be a generic kind of journey, because everybody has their own journey. It's like everybody's got their own life. We've got 7 billion plus people on the planet. Everybody's living their own life. We all have our own story. We're all the star of our own movie. And it's it's the same that when we get back to the afterlife, we have our own experiences, but they can be based around certain uh, events, shall we say. But No Goodbyes just goes into things much deeper from a uh, a general perspective that the as i said before the those in spirit wanted us to share and know this information to help settle our mind and help us to also cope with life a lot better and i've been absolutely delighted to pass this information on barry there's this saying you can't take it with you when you go but you beg to differ how so i do yeah we can't take money we can't take possessions we can't take material things with us and for so many people on the planet that's what life is all about the gathering of material products but what we do take is the imprint on our spirit of our activities and in many cases our health and whatever 
So the, the spirit, as I said, being the vehicle for the soul, when it returns to the afterlife, it takes this imprint back with us. So if you've had a long illness before you pass, then there will be that imprint of it on your soul and you need to do, uh, on your spirit, I should say, and you need to do the healing work. But also, if you've been a pretty nasty sort of a person and you've, you've hurt a lot of people, that imprint will be there as well. You've got to go back and work through that on the other side. Not punished. You're not shoved into some pit of fiery hell somewhere. You're helped uh, in a loving sort of a way. But you've got to understand, and quite often you will be given the ability to understand and appreciate what you've done to people and experience that yourself in the depths of your own soul. So that when you do come back again into your next life, you can be bringing back that karma from a previous life, whether it's your last life or maybe several lives beforehand. So we do have this karma that we take back with us, which can not always be resolved in our life between life journey. So when we come back as part of our life purpose, our destiny, shall we say, as part of that, we have to have this unresolved karma. And karma just simply means what goes around comes around. It's basically balance. We need to balance the experiences of various lifetimes. So yes, we do take things back with us, but not material things, Mel. And this is something I want to explore later, because I've had this conversation with the late Dolores Cannon and many people who discuss this topic. You know, I see children who died in a horrible way, and I think, or people who just are the nicest people in the world and something really bad happens to them. I think if there's a life contract, what do you do in another life to deserve this? But we'll explore that later. Is our destiny, Barry, predetermined or predestined? And if so, then does that mean that we don't have free will after all? This is something I wanted to explore with my spirit group, Mel. And John came up with some fantastic information on this, which I've put in depth in my book, No Goodbyes. Uh, for me, it always seemed silly that everything was predestined. Otherwise, we'd just be like puppets dangling on the string with some celestial puppeteer enjoying us like we were in some kind of universal computer game. But from what I understand, life is a combination of destiny and free will. And it's I equate it to the plot points in a movie or a TV show where certain things happen the And we all know that the major transitional points in a movie that we might be watching, the hero all of a sudden uh, finds that he's, he's lost his girlfriend or his wife or that some dreadful thing happens, but he has to or she has to go through a, a, an amazing transformation to be able to make things happen. Well, this happens all through our life. We reach these destiny points and it might be a good thing or it might be a very challenging thing like the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship. Uh, all sorts of things like this, but what it's doing for us is giving us the opportunity to change our life, to move on in another direction. Other doors open for us. So if one door closes, the old saying goes, another one opens. So these destiny points create an opportunity that then our free will comes into play. And it's up to us, first of all, whether we even take the opportunity and if we choose to take the opportunity, that door opens, we go through, and then we have more free will as to what happens to us as we're going along that path. If we choose not to go through there and open that door by using our free will, then other things will happen to us. 
So it's up to us as to what happens at these destiny or transitional points in our life. And life is a series of these things. A lot, uh, but the predestined points are there that we have agreed to before we even come back onto the planet. And we've agreed to these, particularly the major ones. It may not be just because you have an argument with somebody and, and, and you go storming off uh, and, and make a decision. That may not be a predetermined destiny point, but it's the major destiny points that we have in our life meeting certain people and having events come into our life that are very highly transformational. These are the major destiny points. But how can we determine what is predestined or part of our karma? Uh, I don't think we have to know what's predestined really in our conscious mind because our subconscious uh, through our soul knows this. So once we can understand, and we're going through challenging times, the best thing I can suggest to people is get in touch with your inner self. Get in touch by going into meditation, having quiet times. It's no good storming around and, and being completely panicked and stressed and whatever because you're not, going to, you're not going to achieve anything. Get in touch with your heart because that is where the spirit attaches itself to the body, where I've been told. We talk about heart and soul. So if you can get in touch with your heart as opposed to the mind, which can be reeling with all of these problems that are happening at the present stage, then you're able to get access to your soul and your soul knows what's going on and your guides know and the guides will talk to you through your soul. So it's up to us to be able to listen and, and not just go into a state of complete panic, which quite often we will do. But that's, once again, maybe part of our destiny, maybe part of our karma. We've got to learn to go through these panic points and learn how to cope with life and learn how to grow and not just uh, give in every time. But making mistakes is also part of our destiny because people think, oh, I've made a mistake. Oh, that happened at the end of the world. It's not. That's the way we learn. I was equated to the uh, film industry having worked in film and television as well, if something goes wrong and we're doing a take, the director says, okay, cut, right, no, come on, that was no good, let's do another take. So that first one was a mistake or a mistake. So we go on until we might do three or four or 24 sometimes. I've done in voice production work that I've done, I've done up to 29 takes on something before they go back and probably use take one. But anyway, um, that's another story. But the the mistakes that we have all along the way, I'm learning, I'm growing, the director, uh, maybe the other cast and whatever, they're learning as well. So when we have these mistakes around us, we are growing, we're learning, the people we're with uh, are also taking advantage of those mistakes some ways as well. Sometimes it might be very subtly, but they are learning from those mistakes as well, just as we learn from their mistakes. So this is how life progresses. So don't be afraid to make a mistake, I always say to people. And the following may sound disconnected from what we were discussing, but bear with me, folks. Barry, you discussed the dangers of negativity. We know it's better to find the silver lining in, in the dark clouds, but this tendency is compounded by our media. We all know this. If it bleeds, it leaves. And you, having worked with media, you know exactly what I'm referring to. We mostly see stories of violence, misfortune, disasters. Why do you think positive stories are not covered that often, with the exception, as you say, good news stories are, are more often confined to the fluffy animal story at the end of the TV broadcast? And I have a question after this, and you'll know why I asked. 
Okay. Look, I find this very frustrating, Mel, because I was a, a news anchor for many years uh, on radio, and I did some television stuff as well for a while. And the company that I worked with, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is the, the government organization here, um, we never ever led in those days or, or even had violent stories. But nowadays, everything, I mean, they will lead not only the ABC, but all other stations will lead with murders and, and drug raids and things like this. And I'm thinking, why? This is happening on a daily basis. Why are we reporting this negativity? There are so many other things that are happening. And it makes me very frustrated. But I, I was talking to my son, who is a, a journalist and, and works uh, in my old alma mater at the ABC. And, and he was telling me that these days... It's all computer-driven that stories are based around what we want to hear as a general public. And they all this information is put into a computer, and the stories and the content are based on what is most popular. That's a sad reality, Barry. Yeah. I mean, now this means that events and that the general population are creating the news as opposed to, you know, years ago when... The, the journalists, which is what they're hired for, the editors and, and various producers, they were the ones that were deciding what the stories were. Now, because they're popular, these stories are leading the news. And it's, as I said, computer-driven. Now, to me, this is absolutely outrageous. When I heard this, I thought, this is crazy. We're giving our power away. But negativity is always going to create, as you said before, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. And these are the stories that are the garish headlines that a certain aspect of our population want to see, want to hear about. And they're the ones that are controlling this. So we've got to get back. You know, the, the inmates are in charge of the asylum at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in the uh, in the media. We've got to reverse this. How we do it in the short term, I'm blessed if I know. I think this gives new meaning to we manifest the thoughts we entertain. But you say you had thought that negativity would have been eliminated as part of life in the spirit world. I guess the question is, are there negative emotions in the spirit world? Yeah, there are. And this came as a, a bit of a shock to me as well. When I talked to uh, to John and my spirit team about this, I thought once we got back over into the afterlife, not that things are sort of rosy and we don't get over there and, and issued with a harp and a cloud and told to float off, that doesn't happen. But I did think that it was going to be a very positive sort of an area. And I know that, that love, the power of love is, is so powerful and, and so, so much a part of our healing process. I just automatically assumed that um, negativity would be relegated to other areas. But, you know, the old saying, never assume because to assume makes an ass out of you and me. So... <laughs> My assumptions there were way off because negativity is something that we can take back on the imprint of our spirit, as I was talking about before. And this negativity can go back into spirit with us. And there are negative aspects there. There are also dark energies, plenty of them on this side, as we know, dark energies manifesting in human form and also dark energies hanging around in spirit form that are affecting all of us. So there's a lot of negativity and we have to learn how to move on from this, how to create a more positive aspect in our own lives because if we take that negativity back with us into the afterlife and this can be the catalyst for this can be many different things including of course uh, drug taking 
illicit drugs and even the overuse of uh, pharmaceutical drugs, this can have a huge negative effect on our spirit. So all of these are problems, Mel, and, and these are problems that are 21st century problems particularly, and they're just growing exponentially. Are you saying that duality or polarity exist in the spirit world? And if so, how, how does the spirit handle this? Well, I guess they've got their own ways of handling it. Um, they don't necessarily share these with me, but it's it's not something, that, as John said, there is this aspect of, of negativity, and there is this, this almost, it's almost a battle, but it does exist, and it's not something that, as I said, it's not full of fluffy white clouds, but there are aspects, there are levels, there are many, many, many levels of the afterlife, and the lower levels are certainly full of negativity and uh, and very um, lower energy, shall we say. The afterlife vibrates at a much higher rate than us. It's a different dimension. And this dimension vibrates at a much higher rate than the earth plane. And as we progress in the afterlife into various other spheres and planes, so the vibrations raise. Now, the lower echelons, uh, call it the lower astral, if, if uh, it's, it's many people know it as that, the lower astral areas vibrate at a very, very low rate. So that if you've been a particularly evil person in this lifetime, and I'm sure we can all think of one or two people off the top of our head that will apply for that one, you will end up in this lower echelon, these lower astral regions, to be able to... I mean, they're not going to welcome you with open arms if you've uh, created chaos in your life. You've got to be helped. You're not punished. You're not sent down into the pits of eternal hell or whatever. That's a very Dante-esque kind of uh, description. But they are helped, and advanced spirits from the much higher levels are continually going down there to help these souls to grow, to learn from their huge mistakes, and then to be able to come back into further lives, to be able to atone for their actions in this and other previous lives. Later, later during the interview, I want to ask you about the animal kingdom and the possibility of reincarnating into an animal, if that's possible. But the reason why I ask you this, this may sound humorous, but bear with me here. Recently, my wife and I went to a, a, an Asian restaurant, and we saw in the middle of the restaurant this fish tank. And there was this massive, massive fish there. And I thought, that fish must be decades old. <laughs> Imagine if the person came to reincarnate into that fish who probably spent 30 years here in the middle of the restaurant just being there. What a punishment. Is that possible, Barry? Well, there are certain belief systems in the world that do believe that if we've been naughty in this life, we might come back as a cockroach or a big fish or whatever. I put this uh, question to my spirit team on the other side, and they said no, that humans and animals have a different vibratory level and as such, humans come back as humans and animals come back as animals. That's the, the short answer to that sort of thing. So Interesting. even though you might have been a pretty nasty person, you're not necessarily going to come back as a rat. You might come back as a person who either looks and behaves like a rat to atone for their armor, <laughs> but you're not necessarily going to be scuttling around in corners and, and, and creeping into the dark with four legs and a tail. Now, this is a question I've asked everyone who discusses this topic. Why do we forget our past lives, if we are allegedly learning a lesson? Well, you think about it. If 
you have, if we all have many, many past lives, which I know for a fact we do, I can't prove it scientifically, but I can prove it through my experiences and my own information and my own journeys and the journeys of many other people. But if we came back and let's say we had even 10 past lives, and I know we have a lot more than that, but let's say 10 past lives. You came back with all that information swirling in your little baby head. And as you're growing up, all these past lives of, of perhaps, um, you know, violence in a war that you were killed in in the Crimea or, 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 you know, being burned alive back in the Middle Ages, all of these things, if they were there in your conscious mind as you're trying to grow and learn in this life and just exist in this life, can you imagine the impact that that would have? We would all end up as part of a giant insane asylum. I mean, a lot of people think Earth is an insane asylum to start off with. But can you imagine if every one of us had these thoughts and memories swirling around in our heads the whole time? It just would not be possible. So we have to close the door. We have to lower the veil on all these past memories our past lives, but they're there. They're there in our subconscious, and we can go, and I've done it several times, and I, I did it in uh, in, in, in uh, great scope for my book, No Goodbyes. I did a four-hour regression session for that and went back and do a couple of very strong past lives. But going back into the past is something that we go to find out answers to situations in our current life. Now, I do past life work with people, I help them uh, do help them go down into uh, a trans situation and, and access past lives. And I've done this. I did it on a cruise actually many years ago. I was giving lectures, and I had two hundred and sixty people in a room. I took them all back in a past life, which was quite interesting. I had some amazing reactions afterwards from people. Um, but when you when you go back into these past lives, it's not just for fun. It's not a Hollywood time tunnel experience. You're going back into the life that is relating to what you're going through at the moment for answers in that life. I first found out about this by uh, working with a friend of mine who's now become a friend. His name's Peter Ramster. Peter is one of the world's foremost authorities on past lives. Peter's a psychologist, and he started off by using hypnotherapy and taking people back to when the problem first started. And on one occasion, the person slipped back into a past life, and he thought, oh, this is interesting. He'd been very skeptical about this. But then when they went back into the past life and they accessed what the problem was, they then he then brought them back into consciousness. They worked on that aspect of the problem, and it all worked out. He was able to help them heal. So Peter then realized that there was something in all of this and then started to do intense studies. And he's written books He's also made a couple of films that have uh, come out there uh, onto the world television circuit. In fact, you can access them. You can go into YouTube and just dial Peter Ramster, The Reincarnation Experiment, and you'll see some of the stories there. And they are amazing. And they prove beyond a doubt that we have these past lives and these past life memories because he takes people back into situations that is impossible for them to know. He's taken... This woman back from Australia who'd never left Australia, and they could prove that through immigration. She'd never left Australia. She took them to places unerringly over in, in England and in France, having never been there in this lifetime. And these places were hidden. 
Nobody could know them. Backwoods, back streets they had to go through. And she was able to do this in a state of post-hypnotic trance. So the past lives there were buried deep within the subconscious. But when they were allowed to emerge or encouraged to emerge, then that was how it all happened. And that's how these people were helped. And by the way, folks who are trying to look for the name Ramster, Dr. Ramster, R-A-M-S-T-E-R, am I correct? Uh, you are indeed. And Pete is a great guy. He uh, Earlier this year, I emceed and spoke at the first Afterlife conference we had here in Australia. And we needed a, a last-minute speaker replacement. And I jumped at the chance of getting Pete involved because I was also one of the advisory committee for the, for the uh, conference. And uh, he was unavailable before that, but, but became available and came and gave a wonderful talk. And he is an amazing man. He's done so much. I've had him as a guest on my radio program on Radio Out There several times. And uh, he is he's, he's incredible. So I do encourage anybody who's got some doubts or would like to know more about reincarnation and past lives just to go into the YouTube and, and have a look at Peter Ramster, R-A-M-S-T-E-R, and the reincarnation experiments. There's a whole lot of little segments there you can dial up and then have a look at. And for the many people, as I said before, we're in October, and we we tend to think of the spirit world a lot during this month. I don't know why, probably because of Halloween and other other days of the month that uh, other countries deal with. But people seem to be disconnected sometimes from the spirit world. Can you really talk to dead people? Uh, no, you can't talk to dead people, but you can talk to people who are still alive in the afterlife. That's something that uh, a very good friend of mine is a medium, um, Ezio DeAngelis, who worked with me uh, as part of my research and no goodbyes. I've got to, I've got to credit Ezio with saying that because Ezio does a lot of on-stage work, which I've done a couple of stage appearances with him. And no, if some if something is dead, you can't communicate with it, but we don't die, and that's the whole point, Mel. Only the body dies. We, as an energy, as a soul energy, we don't die. So I'm not talking to dead people. I'm talking to people who are alive in the afterlife. Well, that's true, because when you think of people, you think physical world. And physical, dead, meaning the person died physically. But as you say, they're alive in the spirit world. Now, I like to go in chronological order. What happens when we die? Okay, well, the first thing is, as I said, there's a separation of the spirit from the body. The body then perishes. The spirit, which, as John and the, my spirit team told me, attaches itself to the heart, then leaves. Now, we know that no matter what the physical ailment was, when the heart stops, then we are pronounced clinically dead. So it makes sense to me that once the spirit or the soul leaves the heart area, the heart failure happens. At that stage, we start our afterlife journey. The afterlife is our real home. That's where the the soul energy comes from, and that's where we go back to. Now, it's like anything else. We all have our own unique experience. We've got seven plus billion people on the planet. Everybody enjoying their own life, their own experience. We're all the star of our own little movie and our own little world. And the same thing happens when we leave this world. And I always equate it to the group of people that might be jumping on an airplane and leaving, say, from... Uh, which, which city do you live in, Mel? Tucson, Arizona. 
Tucson, Arizona. So you would fly out of Tucson uh, with a whole group of people heading off to, say, Los Angeles. Now, you get off. You know, we better make it an overseas country because we've got to go through customs. So we'll make it all over to Paris. Paris is my favorite city. So let's go to Paris. We all head off to Paris. We get off there at the other end and we go through customs and immigration and then we all leave. Some of us are going to be met by friends and family. Others of us have got our own itinerary. We're met by maybe a shuttle to take us to the hotel or whatever. We've all got our own journeys. We've arrived at the same destination on the same vehicle, but we're all heading off on our, for our own unique experiences. Now, it's the same thing in the afterlife. We're heading back to the same destination, but the way we do it uh, is slightly different. Yes, we've got to go through the equivalent of, say, customs and immigration, because when we're, when we're met, uh, and we're always met, everybody's always met, there's somebody there for all of us. Even though you might say, well, hang on, they're an orphan, they didn't know anybody. Well, there's always somebody there. It might be a, a friend who's passed over earlier. It could be a, a deceased family member that they have never met in this lifetime. But everybody is met. Nobody ever dies alone. And we have this horrible thing about, oh, we've found this person who dead in a, in a in their house or something, been there for months. Oh, what a terrible thing, they died alone. No, they didn't die alone. They had somebody there with them, family, friends, whatever. We're all met. So once we're met, we then go through some kind of healing process. And we have to because we're taking the imprint of whatever it is that we suffered to have the demise of our body whether it's a long illness, whether it was an accident, whatever, it doesn't matter. We then go into some kind of a healing process. After that, we uh, are usually met by our family. There's celebrations, all sorts of things. Then we go through the life review process with our guides and a, a group of elder guides that um, usually known as the Council of Elders. That's a generic title. And then we look back on the life that we've just led and we are shown aspects it's like sort of at the end of a football game the coach will get the whole team in there and we'll go through the video we'll have a look at what we did the mistakes we made the things we did right what we're going to do next time and what can we learn from all of that and i use the phrase as above so below in all of my books because what life is on earth is a reflection of the afterlife in many ways so we've brought these things down here with us and we do review our life from time to time and we think back on what we're doing. Well, we certainly do when we get back over into the afterlife, but we do it in a little more intense way. We're not punished. We're not judged. We don't have somebody sitting there with thunderbolts pouring out of their arms saying, you know, you are judged, you are found guilty, and uh, you are consigned to all this misery. I mean, that doesn't happen. We're shown what we've done. It's a replay. And we can experience the hurt, the misery that we've created for other people and with other people. And we can feel that at a deep spiritual level. Then once we do that, we are then reunited with our soul family. And we all have soul families. We may not know them on this planet during this lifetime. Some of them we might know. Some of them we might be surprised to know who your soul family. And we also have extended soul families. So all of these people are there in various forms when we return back. Even though some of them might still be alive, an essential part of their energy is still in the afterlife because we don't bring all of our energy back with us into each lifetime. There's a, a part of us that stays in the afterlife. So we're reconnected with our soul family, and, of course, there's a celebration. I mean, if you've been away on a long 
um, posting overseas or whatever, for instance, and you came back, what would your family do for you? Your friends, they'd have a party, wouldn't they? Well, that's what they do in the afterlife. They have a party to welcome you home. Here, we have a party to celebrate the birth of a child. Over there, they have a party to celebrate the fact that we're coming home after our so-called death. After that, we then move on to all the other activities and everything that happens in the afterlife, and that is a whole a different story there. But the essential part is that when we go back, there's a little process we go through. Just like getting off that plane in Paris, we have to go through customs and immigration. We are met. Then we start to move off into whatever plans that we had. But when we go back to the afterlife, those plans are there for us. And we're working with people to help us formulate and work through those plans. But if as above... That's it in a nutshell. Right, right. And if as above, so below is real and the afterlife is a reflection of life in the physical world, or vice versa, why is there so much chaos in the physical world? Because we're creating it. I mean, they cannot... Um, when I say as above, so below, it doesn't mean to say that everything here is exactly the same as it is, but right. we, we bring a lot of aspects of the afterlife back with us, and we integrate that. But, of course, we've got free will, and as I've been told over there, there are certain things that are inevitable, And certain things like the, the world wars, uh, they weren't necessarily predestined, but they built up through a series of destiny points of various people and nations and whatever. But certain things get out of control, and they are not in control over there in the, in the world of spirit. World events, and we're going through some pretty chaotic times right now. Not that we haven't gone through a lot of chaotic times in previous years, but now with the internet and communications the way they are, we hear more about them. But they can't control everything. We have the, the free will that when we come down here, not only individually but collectively, and that free will can uh, really create the kind of chaos that we witness that can build up into conflagrations and world wars. And then, then there's a lot of help from the other side. But they can't solve our problems for us. That's what we're here for. Now, going back to spirit guides, do we all have a spirit guide And why is it so difficult to communicate with them for most people? <laughs> we all have a spirit guide. And the reason why it's so difficult is because we're not listening. How many times have you heard a parent say to a child, listen to me, you are just not listening to what I'm saying. And that's it. I mean, it's like they're the parent and we're the kids. And we're just blindly going on. And we're having this information given to us in many different ways. Anything from a whisper in the ear to little messages that are coming through. They, they give us messages in many, many different ways. It can be a song on the radio, a book that we read, something that somebody says to us, a program we might watch on TV, or many, many ways they're getting information to us all the time. But we are so busy and so you know, bound up in our own little world, our own little bubble, that we're not listening to the outside. But once we start to listen, once we connect... Our lives can change, and I know my life has changed enormously since I've started to listen and work with my guides. Well, when you think about modern education system, they tell you not to listen to your intuition. They say, just follow physics, follow science. That's the way it's supposed to be. But is intuition a gut feeling, synchronicities, ways in which they communicate with us, but we just don't pay attention? Exactly. And why would we just blindly rely on science? Science, the word science actually just means a body of knowledge, if you have a look on the uh, dictionary. 
So science is something that scientists like to say, we can prove in a laboratory, we can prove it empirically, and you can't prove things that like intuition. Well, now, science is starting to move in the direction of proving. There's a guy called Professor Robert Lanza who's written a book, the name of which I can't remember offhand, but he is now saying that the, the existence of the afterlife, for instance, can be proved scientifically through quantum physics. So science is not just some kind of blind thing that... Uh, Yes, it is because we can see it in a test tube, or no, it's not because we can't see it in a test tube. Science is the body of knowledge. So why wouldn't that body of knowledge include what we can learn from our own experiences? We have our, our own scientist in a way because we are increasing our own body of knowledge within our own body and our own mind and our own heart. It's interesting that you mentioned to Robert Lanza because he's on our list for our next season. Uh, one of our guests, uh, biocentrism, how life and consciousness are the keys to understanding the true nature of the universe. I think that's the same Robert Lanza you're, talk you're talking about. It is, and good for you. I've been trying to get him on my program for a while, but his publishers won't even reply to me. So <laughs> I must talk to you about that one later, Mel. Good for you. I'm cracking it to have a go at uh, speaking with, with Robert Lanza. I'm a great fan of his. Sure. And what have you learned from, from your own spirit guide? What are some of the lessons that you have learned so far? Wow, have you got a, got a couple of hours? Uh, <laughs> um, well, I've learned, first of all, that the whole of life is about developing my soul. That's, that's the whole thing. And once I can learn how to do that, I'm here to develop as a soul energy. And they are here to help me to learn to grow. And part of that is working with and helping other people. That doesn't mean to say you've got to give everything up and go and join the Salvation Army or something. If you want to do that, that's fine. But you don't have to be some kind of Mother Teresa figure. Helping other people can take many, many different forms, starting off with our own friends and family, just being there, helping, being open, but, but doing whatever we can and not just being totally involved in our own little world, our own little bubble, because there's so much selfish behavior that goes on in this world. Yes, we have to observe and we have to be self-aware, but everything doesn't have to be me, 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 which it is for so many people. But once we can start working with this and looking at a greater aspect of life, that life is not just about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sure, they're there and they're fun and, and that's part of life, but it's not the be-all and end-all. And once we can expand and learn and grow, which is what I've been able to do, and I've gone through that, that process of, of working in the media, working in radio, television. I've studied as an actor. I've done many, many different things. But I believe my real purpose in all of those areas of communication was to get to the stage I am now, to be able to communicate not only through my books, but also I, I do consultations for people, helping them to help themselves, not saying, you know, here I am, I can tell, I can give you all the answers. The answers are within us all. And if we can help other people, to get those answers or even encourage them or be with them, that can be part of our journey as well. When I see most people, and folks, I, I don't mean to to judge anybody. I don't walk in their shoes. But I see that most people are working hard. They have to support their families. They hardly have any time for themselves to really enjoy life. What would you say to those who doubt reincarnation. And I say this because it doesn't make sense to me that you just come here to pay bills, then enjoy a couple of years of re retirement, and then just 
boom, gone. What would, you, yeah. what, what would you say to those people who doubt reincarnation? Well, I'd say, listen to your logical mind for a start. I always maintain that if we only had one life, it wouldn't be out of balance the way it is. The universe is not a place of chaos. But have a look at the 7 billion plus people we've got on the planet. We've got people here who come and leave within a few weeks, a few months, sometimes tragically as children. They grow up with huge problems. Some are born in abject misery. Some end up with huge health problems. Other people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, float through life, plenty of riches, wonderful time. Why is this? If it was only one opportunity, one life, why is there such a diverse aspect of this life? It makes logical sense to me that this is only one life of many, and that we are having many experiences. And yes, we might have all had lives of abject misery, and I'm sure we have, and we, we're building up, we're learning. What is the purpose of life? And when you start to think about it, the purpose of life, to me anyway, is not just to come here and, and have a, um, a life where I learn at school, get a job, uh, buy a house, have a, get married maybe, have kids, and then retire and then die. That's, that's just a, a sort of an overview of the whole thing. To me, life is so much more. It's all the experiences. It's everything that happens. But because these experiences vary so much within every single one of us, and we can look at other people that are having far different experiences to us, why is this so, you have to ask? Well, I do anyway. And when we can think about, by leading other lives, we can share in some of these other experiences that people are having. And I don't just mean manifesting you know, material things. I'm talking about the emotional and the other social experiences that are available to us all. And if we can have these over a series of lifetimes and grow each time, then that explains to me a lot about it. I've always just known that this is one life of many. And as such, I don't care whether people really believe themselves or they doubt it or whatever, because that's part of their growth. And we can't, I'm not out here to proselytize and tell everybody what to believe. I can only present the information that I've been given and that I've researched and found out for myself. And if people can gain something from that to help them, that's great. But I'm not here to tell them what to do or what to think. When I look at the historical estimates of world population, and you'll know why I'm asking you this, in the 1500s, 1600s, we had about 500 million people, five to 600 million people living on the planet. Now we have 7 billion. I've always asked this question to people like you who discuss the topic. If our souls come back, then where did the other 6.5 billion <laughs> souls, where did they come from? Yeah. I know it's a tricky one, isn't it? And it's, it's been one of those questions that's very hard to answer in many ways. Now, in my book, No Goodbyes, my very good friend, uh, Val Hood, who was one of the, the uh, mediums that I worked with, she contacted my late partner, Judy, and Judy talked about the creation of new souls. And obviously, we have to have new souls. We have souls coming from other worlds as well. I mean, the arrogant thought that we are alone, alone. in the universe, I mean, that to me is one of the, the ultimate pieces of arrogance that humans can have. 
oh, we are so perfect. This is it. There's this vast universe and multiverses out there, and we are alone. We are the sum total of everything. Oh, my God, how can we be so arrogant? How can we be so stupid as to think that? So there are many souls and, and many forms of life in other worlds. And yes, they they come to these to, to be here with us as well. And once we've done our time on this planet, shall we say, we can go and, and live in other worlds as well. But there are new souls being created all the time. And this is something that I do talk about in the book because um, Judy described the way souls break off from a central soul. And it, it basically goes back to the creator. Now we can say the creator, the source, the uh, God, whatever name we wish to use here. But to me, the creator, and I've, I've been asked and I've, I've connected in deep meditation and through my spirit friends as well, that God is not an old man with a long white beard sitting in a chair chucking thunderbolts around the way that we would put a Zeus-like figure <laughs> right. on. Um, the, the, the creator of all that is, is pure energy. Now, there are various um, publications, including the Bible, that says we are in, born in the image of God. Well, the image of God is not necessarily a humanoid image. The image of God, from what I understand, is pure energy, and it's the energy of our soul that is the replication that we have. So we are, I guess you might say, we're a chip off the old block. We are part of the original and ongoing source of energy, which is the creative force of this and every other universe. So it's like a bucket of water. I always think of it as, as we can take a huge bucket of water. Now we can take an eyedropper out of that bucket of water and drop it into five little different um, areas there. So we've got five different drops out of that that huge bucket of water. We can then put that water back in to the main bucket. And what happens? It just automatically becomes part of that that uh, water again. We can take a little we can take a bucket of water out of the ocean and that bucket of water has its own life. Then we chuck it back in the water, it just becomes part of the ocean once again. And essentially that is how I see, or I've been told anyway, that our souls are that we are part of this universal sea of energy, this ocean, this vast ocean of energy. And when more souls are needed, they come from this ocean of energy, but they're also coming from our own souls then that are hiving and splitting off. And Judy, in uh, a segment that she talks about, and I, I talk about this in my book, uh, and it's very, very complicated, and I have to basically almost read this every time to be able to get my head around it. But it's it's basically like a, a, a light globe shattering and all of the, the pieces heading off there. And this is what happens from central souls that the, the uh, here it is, I found it in my book now. Do you want me to read this bit for you? Well, hold it for a moment because we have to take our one and only intermission right now to separate both segments. You can read it on the other side. But this is why I was asking you, Barry, because when I see that other difference, 6.5 billion people, where did the souls come from? I think, as you said, it's the height of arrogance to think that we are just simply alone in the entire universe. And the question is, if you have asked, just asked your spirit guides, where are these other worlds? 
Do they, are they planets in our solar system? Are they interdimensional worlds out there that we're not aware of? But give us the answer on the other side. Now, how can people buy No Goodbyes and your other books? Okay, well, Afterlife, Uncovering the Secrets of Life After Death, and No Goodbyes, Life-Changing Insights from the Other Side. They're available in bookstores, of course, uh, and published by a company called Tarcha, which is part of the Penguin Group. Now, you can get them through online sources, uh, in various bookstores, of course, and um, wherever you would get good books. But you can also go to my website. I, I don't sell books. I'm not, I'm not a bookseller. But you can go to my website and find out a little bit more about the books themselves. But if you go to my radio website, which is radiooutthere.com, I do a radio program that covers all aspects of the mind, body, spirit, um, then there are links across to my books there as well. So, But, but basically, um, you can just go into find out about these books through my website radiooutthere.com and it must have been very apparent to our listeners after listening to you for two seconds that you have an excellent radio voice I'm so glad that you're here with us Barry Eaton when we come back so much more to discuss no goodbyes life changing insights from the other side this is Mel Fabregas and you are listening to Veritas we'll be right back Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products, supplements, our USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy.